Hey man. What's going on? How's it going? Doing pretty good. All right. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Deep Focus. <laughs> we are doing something special today. You want to let him in on it, Nick? Yeah, we're going to see Tenet. Just got in the car. We're about to head over to the theater. Yep. Uh, we're going with our friend uh, Jeremiah, mm -hmm. who is a cinematographer. Yes, and we are going to do something different in terms of the recording of the show. We are going to live record our thoughts beforehand as we drive there, and then we're going to record our initial reactions to the film afterwards in the car while we drive back. So sorry in advance about the sound quality, but... Yeah, absolutely. You're going to get... I'll do what I can in the editing for everyone, but <laughs> it's going to be a little crazy. Yeah. All right. All right, here we go. So, Nick. Yeah. Do you want to lead it off? What are your expectations? What are you thinking about? Well, first off, I haven't seen you in months That's in person. True. So, hi. Since March. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, yeah, anyways. Uh, man, I've been so excited for this film. I think it was... Uh, Star Wars. Um, I went to see the new Star Wars movie. Okay. And there was, I went to see it in IMAX, and there was this like um, scene from Tenet beforehand. And it just totally ruined my Star Wars experience because I just like, <laughs> I just like ended up only wanting to watch Tenet. Yeah. And then I'm like, fuck, I have to watch Star Wars now. Yeah. <laughs> I have to watch something that can't compare. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, just that one scene got me so hooked. That initial trailer was a really good hook. Yeah. It's insane what he can do, because I was thinking that as well. I, you know, I haven't been, like, hunting to rewatch the trailer a bunch. Yeah, sort of been either. I've actually to... only seen the one scene. Oh, okay. Yeah. Crazy. Well, I did uh, see... Oh, wait, no, I saw the one trailer where it was just his face in front of the bullet. Yeah, yes. that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. I did see something else recently, because I went back to the movies to see um, Bloodshot or whatever with oh, the cool. Diesel, so I saw another trailer. But I, I think Nolan has enough power over his films that he sort of has say on the marketing. And I think we haven't seen that much at all. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah, feel like there's going right. to be amazing shit. And you know, he's a great concept filmmaker. You think about Memento, you think about Prestige, you think about Inception, you think about Interstellar. Mm -hmm. And he uses these sort of grand ideas, these high concepts to illustrate sort of like his meaning, his questions, his insights, his themes. Yeah. And I'm. We still haven't really seen what it is yet. We've seen that little brief glimpse of the sort of cops flying backwards when he's like, it hasn't happened yet. Right, right. So that's what I'm looking forward to is I want to see what the thing is. It's something to do with time, but we don't know really what it right. is. Well, okay, so I'm actually glad that we did um, that other episode first. Nick, the halfway point kind of ended with, uh, what's it called? Um, with us talking about James Bond. Sure. Because... You know, now now the audience kind of knows our uh, quarrel about James Bond, which yeah. we will we will get into. Do you at think this is going to be like Nolan's James Bond? I think I, I thought that too. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So I think because in 2018, um, I think Nolan was in talks about doing doing the next James Bond film. Yeah. Um, and if I remember correctly, he actually got to the point where he actually went and met the producers. Yeah, I heard about this too. Um, and then after that happened, he was just suddenly off the film. So I think it's just that uh, they got Sam Mendes back there. Like, why? Maybe why break something that's not broken? That's true. Um, it could also just be like Nolan. He probably wanted to do it new. You know? What yeah, I mean? yeah. I would want a fresh reset as well. And I don't know, but I mean, Daniel Craig didn't want to do another one. It, it would have made sense 
That's true. It would, it would have made sense for them to go with Nolan and start with a new James Bond, but... Until they're like, you want 10% gross? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll take 10% gross. Um, but <laughs> maybe... Like, my thinking might be that... Um, so, like, say what you will about whether that the new James Bond series is right for James Bond or not. Yeah. It is more grounded. Mm-hmm. Right? So, the way that I would see Nolan wanting to tape James Bond is, like... You know, he would probably want to bring some sci-fi element into it. Yeah, he you would. Know? I would almost feel like it'd be a combination of what we're saying, which is like our argument, where it's like he would keep the sort of almost gritty, realistic nature, right? Of but the, of the new, he would have the larger in life villain, exactly. the larger in like, life plot, and the gadget you know? as well. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It'd be the fusion of our of our disagreement, right? Which is why I think. Well, and, and but the thing is, like, I'm not about our disagreement. I'm not disagreeing that like. There shouldn't be uh, gritty realism in James Bond. Yeah, there's right? that's true, but there are things that we're disagreeing about that are slightly different. Sure, I guess like I guess like the way that I see James Bond is that guy that can like take on five guys in a bar fight and yeah. like win without a scratch, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's not the direction that they have this James Bond right now, you know? Um, he's he's very much the like let's get into single engagements and have a tough fight, and it's like very very realistic, you know? And I, I feel like that's I cool. Know. I feel, well, we don't need to talk about this yeah, a yeah. lot, but, but I disagree. I'll just say that. We'll, well move on. <laughs> let's, let's say it like this. Um, I feel like the James Bond currently is closer to what, like, Jason Bourne was. Sure. Right? Where he's, like, a badass, right? And he can, like, take out, take on a couple guys, but he's not, like, uh-huh. some super badass that, like, the world has never seen. Sure. You know? Well, I mean, um, the classic James Bond, at least some of them, I would argue that there are, especially with Pierce Bronson, and um, some elements that that we have with the Daniel Craig one. There's sure. some more realism in there. Sure, sure. But the classic ones didn't even necessarily fight. I mean, they just sort of just pwned, you know what I mean? They right, just right. like, I'm just going to show up and destroy you. <laughs> and, <laughs> right, uh, right. With one shot, you know. Um, so there is that there, but I would argue that there are historical precedents for how Daniel Craig's 007 is. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if, like, that's the direction that Christopher Nolan wanted to take James Bond, because he's notoriously, like, a James Bond fan. Yeah. You know? So I wonder if he wanted to kind of move a little more back into, like, you know, the crazy villains, the, you know, yeah. crazy sci-fi plots, you know, the, just the scope of it, you know? Um... And maybe they were just like, no. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think they're I definitely think we're going to see some of that. I definitely think it's going to be unique, though. It's not going to be a complete. Yeah, for like, sure. He's like, I'm going to make a double assault movie. Well, if he's going to make names. something, I feel like he would make it his own. You know, like, yeah. I feel like while, while he might draw heavy inspiration from James yeah. Bond, I don't feel like he's the type of guy to go and like specifically like talk about like specific things in James Bond. I feel like he would try to almost like get everything from himself sure you know and his own fandom well yeah and what you i'm know? also saying is that even if this i don't think this was a script where he's like i'm gonna make it 007 james bond but you know change around the names well, uh, completely i, I don't think, think I it think was that a, i think there's heavy inspiration probably right right that's it i think there's actually a trend right now of like um Maybe it's because of the way James Bond is right now, or maybe it's just, like, everyone kind of piggybacking off of each other. But there's kind of a trend for everyone trying their hand at, like, the James Bond crowd. 
you know, Maybe. whether it's Kingsman, whether it's Mission Impossible, whether it's Christopher Nolan now, you know, you have these people kind of bringing forward a James Bond in quotes um, that's not James Bond, right? Trying to almost branch out, make a new franchise. Um, I would be interested to see if this see that. is James Bond. I think I agree with you, you know? essentially. My my contention, our disagreement, is just about the nature of what James Bond is. And sure. James Bond, this new one, is still arguably one of the most successful of those two. It's up there, I would say. It's probably trading blows with Mission Impossible. Which one? Inspector? Uh, no, this, the new oh, oh, Daniel no, Craig one in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, in terms of its success. So, it is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I would um, say about those two that you mentioned, though, they're a little bit more action. You know, oriented. Uh, Mission Impossible and Kingsman. Whereas I do think the new 007 with Daniel Craig is definitely more spy, um, spy See, film. And that's kind of, um, that's actually why I liked the new Mission Impossible. Is like, while I would agree that Kingsman is very action oriented, I think like, um, I, I think uh, Mission Impossible, especially the new one, was actually very spy oriented. And there, there's like a lot of action in it. Yeah. You know, but it's not like the majority of it, like the previous Mission Impossible's. Sure. You know, there's there's actually a lot of spy stuff that goes on, and I would argue that like to make it really a James Bond film, it had to lean a little heavier into that side. You know. Yeah. Well, that's where I think that's the essence of our disagreement. But anyways. Well, no, no, not the action side, the spy side. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, we don't disagree there. You probably agree more than me with want to admit. Um, here's a. Yeah. Go ahead. What do you think about Robert Pattinson? Are you excited about Robert Pattinson? I didn't even know he was about... in it. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I'm excited. I really like Robert Pattinson, and I'm excited to see him in a Nolan movie. Yeah. Uh, is this his uh, first Nolan? Yeah, this film? is his first Nolan film. And awesome. by the way, have you seen this main actor? He seems like he came out of nowhere. Uh, he was in uh, Black Klansman. Okay. Yeah, was he the main like... guy? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, he was the main character that he starred alongside uh, Adam Driver. What's his yeah. name, actually? Uh, I'm going to look up Black Klansman. Because Can I you imagine wanna... being, like, uh, getting Spike Lee? He's like, okay, Spike Lee just put me as a main role, and now Nolan is. I know, is right? That's crazy. This guy's career is going to... I mean, it already is ridiculous. Yeah, it's already there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what are you expecting? Are you expecting... He likes to, a lot of times, use structure. Nolan likes to use structure um, combined with his high concept. You have Dunkirk yeah. with the two different timelines and interacting with each other. You have Memento, which is backwards. Yeah, you have Inception <laughs> with the three layers of dreams and sort of lining up with the arcs. Right. So what are we doing here? Do you think we're going to get another... Is it sort of... It's something with time travel, but also backwards Oh, yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't doubt it for a second so that we're going to see some weird... Some narrative yeah, yeah. backwards. And you know. you know what? I really like that because I think it's a constant in... Uh, a semi-constant in Western film to kind of, like, slap the same uh, plot structure on everything, you know? Sure. So, and Nolan's been a consistent breaker of that yeah. norm. I think know? it's more just uh, Hollywood, you know? I think it, well, you see sure, a lot sure. of... Yeah. I mean... It, a lot of uh, indie films do that too, though. Well, there is also sort of a Hollywood of indie films where they're sort of mass-produced, you know. Um, sorry, I'm trying to find... Film, it's a little different. Um, John David Washington. Okay. Yeah. That's his name? Yeah. But... I feel like we beat up on the West too much. I love the West, okay, guys? <laughs> Me too. I love the East I mean, and I love the West. We just <laughs> live in the West. I mean, and that's what we fair, see. You know? the majority of our films are from the West that we love. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Possibly because we live here. I don't know. But we love it. We wouldn't be filmmakers otherwise. Yeah. Do you think um, Nolan is uniquely positioned to be 
one of the great filmmakers of, uh, of America because he's both English and American. Do you think that has an impact? I don't know. Um, but uh, one thing that I do see out of all of the master filmmakers um, from any country yeah. is that they none of them kind of adhere to the like norms of their um, filmmaking culture, right? Yeah. So like you take like someone like Miyazaki, for example, where sure. um, in Japan it's the characters that are very consistent. They even have like archetypal names for them, right? Yeah. Um, and it's the plot that they play around with is very much the opposite of what we are. Right, um, but you take Miyazaki and like his characters are very unique, uh, all of them, right? And they don't, none of them really fit into these norms, right? Yeah. And I think when you see a lot of filmmakers from um, the West that just kind of like do the Hollywood thing, um, they're relying on a lot of rules and things that they've learned that you know this is how films are made, this is how we do it every time. Sure. You know, and they're not really breaking down all the aspects um, and finding their own way to do them, which is actually what I think yeah. eventually turns you into a master is understanding. Creating a pattern. Yeah, creating uh, a pattern and understanding every little element down to its most yeah. base function. It's an obsession. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and that's how you kind of get these characteristics where, where when you like watch multiple Nolan movies, you can almost like hear him talking. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, actually... Sorry to completely go off topic here. Go for it. But the one thing I'm super excited about is to go see trailers again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> at the beginning of... Because, like, I don't like sitting at home on YouTube watching trailers. Yeah, it doesn't like, have the same impact of, like, the giant screen, you know? Yeah. Um, I only like watching trailers for movies I've already seen. <laughs> really? Online, at home, yeah. you know? I'll do it in the theater. I like it in the theater. Oh, that, this road's going to be really nice for you guys. Enjoy it. <laughs> but, um, no, there's, like... There's something magical about watching the trailers in the movie theater, too. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And I, I feel like they're designed a little different. They're not, like, They don't have that stupid trailers. little thing where they do, like, the five-second bit. Like, they do the trailer for the trailer before they start. Right, right. That's, like, only on YouTube, right? Yeah. Like, please but they, watch they, our ad. They have, like, multiple <laughs> trailers for everything. I feel like in movie theaters, they almost always, um, like, make a trailer that movie lovers are going to love, you know? Yeah. Um, obviously, because less and less people go to movie theaters, and now it's only the people that really love movies that go. Yeah, I mean, I still think there's a lot of people going to movie theaters, but you're right. You're right. It's definitely diminishing returns. It's yeah. going down. I mean, there's a lot of people going to, like, the new Marvel and Disney movies. Yeah. But, and then, you know, there's, like... Which are, like, the movies. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, like, right. the movies. Um, so, we'll see. Yeah, I think there's going to be new avenues to open up digitally for filmmakers, hopefully, um, to compensate for that. Okay. But I don't think the theater experience is ever going to truly die. I it hope not. I feel like out. it might become more of like a delicacy. Yeah, it might be more yeah. of a, I watched five movies and trailer uh, in cinemas this year as opposed to, right. you know, 20 or so. But, I mean, um, it is what it is. Hopefully it never, like, totally dies, but... Yeah. Um, I mean, you're already seeing them, like, push uh, the whole, like, bar thing in theaters. And, yeah, they're know. doing what they can, um, which is good. Yeah. I think uh, theaters should be sort of uh, one-stop for entertainment. That's what they should be doing. Right, right. Very similar to, uh, what's it called, Alamo Draft House. Yeah. They should have a bar and, like, a music, and they should have the theaters there. Maybe they should have, like, a gallery or a bookstore or a video store there, you know? Yeah, it would be cool if they kind of... Uh, 
created a whole experience, like a an expectation to where you would like go watch the movie and like drink with the people that watch the movie afterwards. You know. Yeah, that'd be really good. I like the Sci yeah. Film Center for that. The Denver Film Center. Okay. Because they do something like that. Um, but once again, what, what's bringing people to the theaters? A lot of it is filmmakers. I think filmmakers are entering an age of notoriety that they didn't even have in the past, and yeah. you see people coming to this movie because it's made by Nolan. You know. That's true. That's true. So there's some hope there. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I'm just so excited to see this film. Yeah. Um, how long has it been since the last Nolan movie? When was Dunkirk? Dunkirk was 2018, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, it hasn't been, been too long. But... Um, but anyways, we are parking now. We are. Um, you know what? If I get to see a Dune trailer, I am going to shit my pants. <laughs> but I think it's going to happen. I think so, too. But <laughs> we will see. But until then, um, yeah, we're going to head in. And we'll see you guys on the other side. Yeah. For first reactions. See ya. All right. Here we are talking to you from the end of the episode, letting you know about our spoiler warning. And we decided to do it this way. In honor. In honor of Tenant. So here is us signing out. And there's going to be spoilers for the rest of the film. Yeah. For the rest of the uh, If you haven't uh, seen Tenet, just go ahead and watch it. You probably won't understand anything we're saying without watching this movie. So. <laughs> yeah. And, and like massive spoilers ahead like massive massive it will ruin your first viewing of the movie which you should this is one of those films that you should definitely go yeah you should watch this see. film on your own and it's so good like we loved it mm-hmm. it's definitely a film that we recommend so like you know if you're looking for that recommendation to you know if you're deciding whether you want to go see it or not go see it go see it go see it right now all right um, yeah and here we go and and we're coming back from the theater we're walking we're towards, walking the car, towards the car, and we see ourselves. Yep, we've aligned the moment perfectly. Yep. yep, and we're closing the doors and we're pressing the record button right now. Welcome back, me and Nick are here. We have just finished watching Tenet. Yep, and um, I before the movie started, I got to shit myself because <laughs> there was a Dune trailer. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah, which oh my god, that looks it was very crazy. good. Um, yeah, I'm so excited. We're not here to talk about Dune. Well, in terms of trailers, I was disappointed. There was no Batman trailer and there was no 007 trailer. True. But, oh well, we can live. Yeah, they did also say there would be a new, the full Dune trailer on September 9th, right? Oh, really? That's, I thought that's what it said at the end of the trailer, but I was I was kind of enamored by what yeah. was going on, so. It looks great, the color, especially. Oh, yeah. I really like his color choices. That's uh, our guy. What's the DP's name? Um, Roger Deakins. Roger Deakins, yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, anyways, Tenet. Well, real fast. Yeah. We need to talk about the proper technique of going to the bathroom when watching a movie in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> what is the strategy, right? Because you have to... I had to go to the bathroom for probably about one minute. Okay. I was outside the theater watching Tenet because I had to go to the bathroom. And the calculation is always this. Can you make it holding it throughout the entire movie because if you can then just don't go right yeah but if you can't then you want to go as early as you can because otherwise i think you went at a good point though because you went at a point of like exactly like exposition well that's when that you want to kind go. of knew was coming exactly that's what i'm saying you want to go early so that you don't miss anything in the later you don't want to like hold it in as long as possible right and i just like it, since it was expository when you came back i just whispered what 
happen to you. Mm-hmm. You know, it was really easy and fast. As opposed to me having to run in like the final action scene, you know? Right, the right. The restroom. So that's the proper technique, everyone. <laughs> you go as early as you can if you decide that you're not going to be able to make it. And if you have a friend, wait for an expository <laughs> scene so they can just explain it to you quickly. Perfect. <laughs> This is not the only Nolan movie I've had to run out in. Uh, Dark Knight Rises, I missed the scene where Bane took him to the jailhouse. Oh, yeah. And it was like, uh, I'll allow you to die, all that, you know? Now, is it only Nolan movies that you have to go to the bathroom? I know, is it's only a- Nolan movies. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I, when I picked you up, I was like, you know, maybe it's like the, the Maybe it's like the vibrations from like, the <laughs> bass, <laughs> just like shaking your bladder. Oh, man. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, um, we saw this in Dolby. Uh, what do you think about that? Oh, that was amazing and loud. Very loud. All at the same time. I'm, I'm, uh, I already told you on our way to the car, but I'm feeling like this is going to get the same critique, maybe even worse. Maybe it's because we saw it in Dolby, but you cannot hear about, I would say, about a third of the dialogue clearly. Um, so <laughs> There are some points, though, when you're not even supposed to, though. Yeah, no, like, and I don't think it's a bad thing. I actually think, yeah. like, whether or not you can hear it, it really actually doesn't matter. Like, there's this part when, um, uh, Robert Pattinson's character is, um, actually, you were in the bathroom for that. So, Robert, oh, wait, no, you were Um, Robert Pattinson's character is getting, like, this tour of, um, this, like, facility that they're gonna break into. Yeah. And the tour guide's voice just starts getting drowned out by the music because, like, it's more important, um, not what the guy is saying, but what uh, Robert Pattinson's character is looking at. Yeah, his perspective. Right. Um, so they like balance the audio in a different way, so you focus more on the visual than uh, what's being said. Mm-hmm. And like techniques like that are really good, and I think that actually happens a lot in this film, where like the dialogue is happening, but what's uh, what the characters are doing isn't involved with the dialogue, so like yeah. it doesn't matter that you hear what they're saying. Yeah. I mean, there's another scene like that where our protagonist, which, by the way, is his name in the movie, very similar to Drive, um, he's with the main bad guy, and he's trying to sort of trick him, you know, and his wife throws the bad guy overboard. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Hold on. Before we go on. Spoiler. (laughs) Yeah, we should probably... Wait. I'll do it. I'll do it at the very beginning of my little recording. Okay, okay. Um... But anyways, it's not important what they're saying because you can't hear their conversation. Yeah. Like at all, unless you're like really focused. Um, you can capture clips of it, but it's not important. You get what's going on. Okay. So. Um, we were one right. One of the things. What about the 007? Do you oh, want to go on that? For sure, 100. percent Like this was so Nolan's take on 007, and yeah. like. He made it his own. I feel like 100%. he made 007 yeah. in a little different. But, but actually, remember what I was talking about? How like you know, 007 goes into the bar and like meets seven guys. Yeah. Like that totally happens in this movie. There's like the scene where they're like, you know, all these henchmen like gang up. They're gonna beat him up in the kitchen, and he just fucking destroys them. Yeah. And, like that. That is that feeling. Like we're watching someone that's like that's like incredible. Not just like. Not just like, oh, this is a, like, well-trained spy. Yeah. But, like, this is someone that's larger than life, you know? This is, like, this is the spy that all the spies talk about. Yeah. You know? Um, no, but uh, this had a great balance between, like, the spy and action, which I thought was cool. And I, th- I think that's what, like, the other, um, 
like people trying to be like James Bond, whether it's Kingsman or Mission Impossible. They don't do it as well as this. Right. Um, they don't have a good, like, in, in my opinion, the balance isn't quite there. They tend to lean a little bit more towards action. action. And that's my main complaint um, with them compared to the actual Daniel Craig 007s. Right. But I think where where the Daniel Craig 007s, for the most part, uh, so minus Skyfall, yeah. uh, where the Daniel Craig 007s miss the mark in terms of what James Bond uh, fans expect. I think Tenet hits every single one, and I think like um, seriously, you have and like spoilers. Of course, we already were Quaid's going to say it at the beginning, <laughs> um, but you have this larger-than-life villain who's like recruited by like a future agency to end the world. He has a crazy henchman who's like you know in every scene, and like uh, he and uh, the protagonist have this uh, face off at the end yeah. where he gets kicked down like this endless uh, pit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say, I mean, I agree. I don't want to get caught from this topic yeah, forever because yeah. we're going to do an episode about this eventually. But the um, it is similar in the sense that he's not invulnerable like the classic 007. No, he's very no. much like Daniel Craig's 007 in the sense that. I mean, the, the opening, the ending of the opening uh, act or um, sequence, he yeah. does, you know, get his ass beat and he decides to take his own life. It's similar to almost the situation at the end of Casino Royale. He, he does do ridiculous things, though, and, like, yeah. comes out on top. Well, you know. That happens in the Daniel Craig's as well. Yeah, but I felt like it was more like, um, I felt like that ha started happening more in Skyfall and it wasn't really there in Casino Royale and Solace. And know. maybe maybe that was kind of like a criticism that they were getting from um, other filmmakers about James Bond, and they like switched it up in Spectre and Skyfall. Maybe um, it's possible, but or maybe it was just like a character development thing. I, I mean, know. I feel like uh, Quantum of Souls had a bunch of that, had a bunch of stunts, and uh, you know, jumping into helicopters and that sort of thing. Sure, sure. Um, but anyways. Uh, the genre then we're definitely saying this is like a spy movie I would say if it has to be a genre film I would probably put it as a spy movie as opposed to like sci-fi because it's like I can see four things I can see spy thriller action and sci-fi yeah you know as the genres on this thing I, I would almost put mystery in there too mystery yeah I can see that but I think um, that's almost part of the spy genre right it? right no you're right like, um, actually but what this does actually not to well on James Bond or anything, because we will do an episode on it, but um, actually the thing that it reminded me of in terms of sci-fi is James Bond, and like, I just kind of realized um, that James Bond has always been kind of sci-fi. A little bit, yeah. You know, and uh, like, maybe that, maybe that's kind of what was missing from the more recent James Bonds. I yeah. I don't know. I don't um, know. Their sci-fi was always a little B-movie-esque, though. Sure, sure. But I mean, like, that's... Wouldn't that, like, if, if you were given James Bond and, like, it's been sci-fi for, like, most of the franchise, like, wouldn't you think, oh, well, I'm just going to not, like, make it not B-movie? I feel like that's what he did Maybe. here with Tenet, right? Where he, Maybe. like, he kept that sci-fi element, but instead of having it just be, like, some B-movie sure. slapdash sci-fi, you know, it's like he really went in there and turned it into a excellent high-concept sci-fi film. Yeah. That so happened to be... I will say, if I if I saw, you know, this movie was 007, you know yeah. what I mean? And we had James Bond in the leading role. Yeah. Um, 
I would probably not like the idea that it would be 007. You know what I mean? I would feel a little bit like, no, this is way, this is a little too far out there for 007's world. Okay. I would say that. I mean, well, I, I mean, think it's it Nolan's though? personal take on something very similar. I don't feel like he would have made this movie if it was, if he actually had the IP. Well, because like Moonraker, though. You know? <laughs> yeah, but there's a difference between 007 being involved with space and 007. Uh, I mean, going space against and the currents like, of lasers time. and you know, like yeah, but <laughs> I think this is like you know, there's a little war scene here with soldiers and the going different currents, you know, up yeah, river yeah. and down river, um, which we need to explain. But anyways, yeah, we um, can sort of move on. Yeah. Do you want to take it with the concept? Yeah, sure. Um, Sorry, we're downing Red Bulls right now because it's uh, yeah. one in the morning. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You gotta hear all sorts of stuff. Yeah, uh, but okay. So I guess as far as like the superficial concept for the movie goes, uh, uh, we were talking about this as we were walking out of the theater. But essentially, the movie's structure is kind of laid out in a way where um, where you get the answers to the film first mm-hmm. without any context, and then later you get the questions. Um, towards the end of the film, you know, yeah. which is really cool. Um, I mean, obviously you do get some answers at the end too, but, uh, but for the most, I, I'd say like the second third, right. Yeah. Um, that's where you're starting to get the questions. Right. And, um, everything kind of pieces together in the, in the final act. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, uh, how the, sci-fi element in this works is that there's uh, I think the best way to describe it is uh, the way that Robert Pattinson's character does in uh, the crate while they're shipping to Oslo okay. um, which is that it's kind of like time is like a river that flows in one direction and yeah. essentially like you can get in these machines that reverse your entropy or like basically like reverse your passes through time Yeah. so essentially you can move with the current like normal people or you can move against the current and um, so everything for you is in is normal, but then like everything that you're experiencing is reversed. Exactly. Um, so, but the current's going either way. So even if you go back, in a sense, right, you're still seeing things uh, going in reverse. They're not going, you know, uh, normal for you. Right. So essentially, um, th- there's a cold war happening between like the future people who have. Uh, who have recruited some of the future people? Uh, yeah. Well, who have recruited? Um, what's his name? The bad guy? Sat? Sat? The uh, Russian. We'll just call the, him the, the Russian, Russian oligarch. Yeah. He's a so, Russian oligarch. The Russian arms dealer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically, there's this like uh, future future people who have recruited this Russian arms dealer as a kid for his whole life to kind of like collect. Um, this like lost technology that's been um, hidden in the past and then um, it's them against a secret organization called Tenet. Now where this where this uh, organization exists is kind of under contention right now because you know we've only seen it once it's a little uh, confusing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but either it's like there, there's one explanation where it's uh, it's from the Indian lady that the Indian yeah. arms dealer lady that like um says that it's from a few like a sect of people in the future and then also Robert Pattinson's character tells Tenet or sorry tells uh, the protagonist that he 
is part of Tenet. Is a part of Tenet or creates Tenet and is the one who recruited him in the past. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so then, you don't realize it, but Robert Panson is a part of Tenet the entire time. Um, yeah. And these the soldiers show up and you begin to realize they're soldiers of Tenet. Right. And then basically um, the whole twist at the end is that, uh, is that um, the protagonist is the leader of the operation. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't even know it. Right, he he's like part of the operation, but he's also the mastermind behind the operation. Yeah, and he and, mastermind it right, over time. Right, and the 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 operation is what they call a temporal pincer maneuver, which is where um, essentially you're coming at an event from the past and the future. Yeah, you're going both flows. You're yeah. flowing with time, and you're flowing against um, time. And there's operatives, basically, basically like cornering um, um, antagonist spies. That are um, also, uh, they also have the going ability to do this. So yeah. they're, they're trying to like pinch each other um, and like corner them in into the timeline by coming at them from both sides. There's some really interesting effects that happen. Like at one point they they have to, a building gets, you know, because what happens is, and this is brilliant on uh, Nolan's uh, side, is uh, you have both our main guy, the protagonist, and Robert Pattinson's character, and they each have a 10 minute watch. Right around when they hit five minutes, yeah. they do this great effect with a building where... Which is uh, just a distraction, but it looks awesome. Exactly. Where yeah. one side has it rebuilt, and the other side has to blow it up, you know, at the same time. Mm. And it's hard to explain. No, they, they blow up... They each blow up part of the building um, at five minutes. So, in one side, like, the building is blown up in the middle. Yeah. And then, like, as it... Like, that part rebuilds... And then the rocket shoots back into the rocket launcher of someone else as someone else shoots the top of the building. So the yeah. whole building just, like, It gets shifts. blown up and destroyed and blown yeah. up and destroyed. Um, which, like, I would say is probably was probably a bit of an unnecessary moment, but it was so cool. As an illustration. Yeah, as an illustration of how this is all working. Because when know? our protagonist learns this, you know, he's getting talked to by this sort of scientist lady. And uh, she's like, you know what? Don't try to think about it too hard. Just feel it. It's like... A, I was like that know. was good advice for the yeah, audience. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Just like intuit what's going on here because if you try to... Well, because you're not really going to understand it like intellectually until about 70% through the movie. So yeah. like... And trying even then to... like 85% of it, you know, <laughs> like maybe. Yeah, but like trying to understand it on an intellectual level at the very beginning of the film is just a, an absurd task. Yeah. Um, but... One thing I do want to talk about, though, is um, the sound design. It's brilliant. Like, holy shit, brilliant. It's very um, good. I can't even imagine mixing that film. Uh, after editing this podcast, I'm so excited <laughs> to fucking mix yeah. audio, man. But, I mean, I mean, the, the crazy thing about it is that, like, you have to... You have to realize that a lot of these sounds aren't just reversed. They're creating like a lot of sounds that like make you feel psychologically like you're yeah. in reverse, you know? So like mm-hmm. there was a lot of really cool sound design going into the film. And, and the I, music too. The, some of the music going in reverse when you were seeing people going against the flow. Right, the right. That against was really the current. Cool. But um oh yeah. Um he did not use Hans Zimmer. I don't remember yeah. the guy's name in the credits. It was but. electronic. It was very strange. You know, I'm used to Violins and uh, organs. Organs. <laughs> yeah, I was and, surprised he didn't use Hans Zimmer. Maybe um, Hans Zimmer was busy. You know, you don't for a Nolan film. Who knows? Maybe he's doing fucking Dune. You don't know. He could be. He could be doing something. Maybe he's like, nah, man. 
COVID. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't know. Um, uh, but uh, it's a beautiful movie too. Looking at it, yeah, it's I, like I definitely didn't get the like what the film was trying to say yet because like I was so focused on trying to figure out what the hell was going on. Yeah, this is our first impressions. This yeah, yeah. Our, um, we're not gonna. I'm not gonna attempt to summarize the ultimate inside of this. Yeah. Uh, there is a comment at the end about reality and faith being essentially the same thing. Right. Which is interesting because the villain, he's sort of caught up in this. Well, we, we've talked about that before. Yeah. Um, because like we, we come at that argument from different sides too. Yeah. We kind of That's realized that like, well, <laughs> not even compromise, but we realized that we're kind of talking about the same thing. Yeah. You know, like when, if you were able to like step outside of time and look in as like, as if there was no before and after it was yeah. all just like at the same time, like but also, like, it's so complex and so hard to understand that, in fact, what sort of keeps you going, you know, and holding this thing in your mind as reality is like faith. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. It, it works because we believe it's going to work. Right. Um, um, it's crazy. Because the, the villain, you know, he's been, as you said, I, did, I didn't remember the part where they said he got recruited. I thought he was the guy that was... Well, he got recruited at the beginning. Because he, well, I thought he just... As a kid, he found the, the, like, capsule that had the note and all the gold Oh, yeah, but that was, he got recruited by the Russian government, if I, no, re- no, if I yeah. remember that story correctly, in order to find the missile heads that no, were so launched he, across after they detonated the hill. There was that, like, capsule, and it had mm. instructions with a bunch of gold in it, mm. and that was, like, from the future, and essentially they were, like, trying to find an agent, and he became an arms dealer in order to find the nukes, because all those, um... All, like the uh, nuclear facilities because all the uh, the c- uh, code pieces were being held in nuclear facilities so it made sense for him yeah to but arms, arms here's deal. my issue here's yeah. my issue with that and this is why I don't think he was recruited didn't he, if I remember what the Indian lady said and also he has his own flashback you know yeah uh, he was talking about how he took a contract from the Russian government that no one else was going to take because it was cleaning up after a nuclear explosion dispersed these nuclear warheads yeah. and looking for yeah, uranium. That, Hold on. Yeah. And he found this capsule where he thought it was going to be uranium, but it was actually one of these hidden parts of the algorithm that this coder in the future had hidden throughout time. No, there, so um, there was there was like instructions in gold in there. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. I, I, think, I think that was... That was how they were recruiting someone. So they weren't saying that they... I think there was that part where they were talking about how, like... But she didn't recruit him. Remember that when the Indian lady was talking about it, she's like, she hid these in nuclear warheads because that's the safest place to hide them. So he just... He stumbled across them, is what it was. It was literally chance. He wasn't recruited. Our main character, our protagonist, was recruited by himself or his own organization yeah. that he set up. So... But either way, I don't think it really matters... Uh, Wait, to no, the no, ultimate wait, no, understanding he, of the story. Sure, but I think he, I think it's someone said at some point that he was recruited, and it wasn't it wasn't that he was like recruited um, to clean up the missiles. Uh, right. Well, no, he, he like that was a job that he took from the Russian government. Yeah. But like, they said something about how like he he wasn't recruited for any reason. It was just because he was the right he was the person that was there at the right time. Right. Well, I don't remember that. I don't remember that. I mean, frankly, but I mean, it doesn't really matter. Here's the thing that's interesting, though, for me. Yeah. um, Is he 
gets these, you know, he, he, he initiates into this, right? He finds this, he finds these instructions and so on. And so um, he has to deal with a reality now and where he understands these things when other people around him don't understand these things. So wait, wait, wait no, because he was in communication with that future organization because he would send, uh, remember they said that he was like burying stuff, um, yeah, in like time capsules good. and then they would like send information back. Yeah, he was sending it back to himself, though. So, like, remember, like, he... He was sending he, it back to himself? Yeah, remember, like, when he kills that guy with the golden brick? That's what he was picking up one of his own time Oh, capsules. that was his? Yeah. I thought that was the future organization. No, he is the future organization in many ways. Wait, what? That's what that's what I got from it, that he was running both things. It was very similar to how our protagonist realized that he was in charge of, uh, of his Tenet? side of things. He's like, oh, actually, I'm the one that's in the future setting these things up. That's what the, the villains also the realized. Bad guy, because he has pancreatic cancer, and they said that it, he was put, burying things in time capsules that wouldn't be found for hundreds of years. Yeah, but he can move through. No, well, no, because it's not a time machine. It's a, it's just backwards and forwards. Yeah, but I think we have to understand that we're not talking about a Cold War that's like a, with a space of a century between it. I think we're thinking about literally this is going on within the space of like a six month period, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So, um, anyways, it doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter. Can we move on to uh, the psychology behind his character? Sure. Because a rewatch will clear that all up for us, you know, and we'll yeah. be able to understand if he's in charge or if he was recruited and in what context he found these things if it was given to him by happen chance of him being there or uh, if it was just chance of him taking the job and therefore using it for his own success sure um but anyways imagine that right so you're dealing with because before we got onto this tangent uh, we were talking about you know the whole thing at the end about faith and reality uh he has this really great conversation on the phone which, by the way, how does that work, you know? Uh, we have to wonder about that, um, how they can call each other. Were they at the same time? Yeah, they were at the same time. Okay, interesting. Because they chose, they chose that point that to day, attack. That day, that specific day. Yeah, because, on the yacht. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, they have this phone conversation, and the villain has sort of fallen into this sort of solopism, this sort of idea of everything is... He's the only thing that gen actually exists, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, he even calls himself sort of a god, right? <laughs> and um, and so nothing exists outside of his mind. So if he dies, everything's already died with him, anyways. You know, so to him, it's not this crazy idea to uh, to link the existence of the world to him because he's going to kill himself because well, he's got colon cancer and he's angry about things. But I really found that interesting that we're messing around with the idea of what is reality in this film, you know? And the mm -hmm. villain has this very adamant idea. And then at the very end, we get from Robert Pattinson's mouth, well, reality, you have to have a faith in it, you know? like Right. It's it's interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, well, I think it's also an interesting juxtaposition with uh, the protagonist, who's a, I guess, what you could call a skeptic. Yeah. You know, his, his whole... His whole position is isn't really to uh, because like a lot of a lot of films, the protagonist is the one with the like kind of like heavier beliefs. Well, actually, it's interesting because the villain calls him a fanatic, and remember at the very end, the protagonist is like, "Don't you believe in anything? Don't you believe in God or yeah. something higher?" So I don't know if he's necessarily a skeptic. I don't know. Well, he's he's kind of like you said, he kind of made up his mind that like you look out for your own generation. Yeah. Right. And he even call he even goes so far as to call the villain a traitor. Yeah. Um, traitor to humanity. 
right. his generation, yeah. Um, but it's interesting because, like, if he was recruited, then you never actually see the bad guys in this film, like the true bad guys, right? Yeah. All you see is their, their like, underling. Um, well, that's one of the reasons I don't think he was recruited. What do you mean? Well, the, our, our, our bad guy. I don't think he was recruited. Okay. But we've gone over this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there was, I think there was a specific line of dialogue that, like, said he was. But there was also, um, like, basically how this film ended made me think that there's going to be a sequel, maybe. It opens it up. Yeah. Um, because, because, like, you know, Robert Pattinson's character says, like, you know, you have a future in the past. Uh, we have, like, all these adventures together. You're going to love it. Yeah. You know? Um, and if he's the one that kind of, like, find, founds Tenet and... We, we don't... It's not actually clear if he, like, is the founder of it or if he's just the leader of this operation. But regardless of which it is... Um, I think he is, though, because he sort of makes that clear. He's like, I'm the one calling the shots, you know? I'm the protagonist of this story. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but, but I, like, it still doesn't make it clear whether he, it's, like, you know, he's the one calling the shots mm -hmm. in terms of, like, the operation. Or there's some other boss in the future. Right, know, so, right. Or if, like, Tenet so. as an organization has, like, a bigger branch than mm -hmm. just him. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Um, but what, what was cool about this was essentially what, what, uh, Nolan did with this film was open up, um... It was kind of like an origin story for... Not even an origin story, but... Uh, it opened us up to this... What would you even call it? Like, inter-time uh, like spy agency? <laughs> yeah, it's like a Cold yeah. War that doesn't... That can fight through the different currents of time. Either on the correct flow or against the flow. Yeah, and what I think is cool, though, is that, like... It's not, it's not time travel. It's literally just, like... Like, if you want to send something back, you can't just pop it in the time machine and send it back. You literally have to, like, bury it in a time capsule. Yeah. You know, and it has to stay underground for, like, hundreds of years to send it between the two um, two points. And, like, the whole the whole thing at the end was that, uh, essentially, the bad guy's plan is to, like, take this algorithm that um, lets the future people um, reverse the flow of time. Mm-hmm. So everything goes inverse. Um, so like they would be our past, essentially. So they would, like, they Everyone would they would in effect delete us, right? Yeah. And they would be the past because they would be moving inversely, and then they would be able to change the world yeah. by. Essentially, he's able to eliminate the current. The current goes the other way, right? And so therefore, they're making their future now. And, right, uh, and when uh, at the end, when the protagonist was talking to the bad guy, he was asking why why they wanted to end the world and he was saying because like um because their their rivers and oceans dried up yeah. you know and like from what i gather there is that and, and like uh, robert pattinson's character talks about the grandfather paradox where yeah. like you know if you if you travel back in time and kill your own grandfather how could you have been there to do it because yeah. you know you killed your grandfather and they believe um, they believe that you'll be fine if you kill your grandfather right which like is interesting because in this film, like everything that happens, not Robert. And, but hold on, yeah, not Robert Pattinson. The people in the future, exactly. Yeah. The bad guys, yeah, uh, that are identified with our antagonist, right? Which is interesting because like everything in this movie does have this dual consequence, consequential nature, where like cause and effect aren't necessarily 
like it doesn't necessarily go cause and effect. It can go effect and cause, cause and effect. And right. So it, by that logic, if if um, if essentially they failed and the future people were to um, were to uh, what's it called? Uh, um, reverse the, reverse flow. the flow of time. Correct. Essentially, yeah. like think of it as like a timeline, and then you like put an anchor around the point where like the flow gets reversed yeah. and then you start a whole new timeline from that point going forward now, which is back essentially backwards, but like yeah. would make a completely different timeline. And Imagine therefore it's a street and you pull a Yui on your car and you're right, backwards right. and your car is impenetrable and it can destroy all the other cars. <laughs> right. Um, but it's like essentially what you would be doing is, um, and, and like they're, they're afraid that it's going to destroy the whole universe. Yeah. Right. Reality. Um, but the people in the future think that, like, essentially, uh, like, time will start again but go backwards. And they will be the past now and they will go into the future in reverse. Exactly. Um, and be able to... And, th and then that way, like, you know, the oceans that dried up and such would, like, replenish. Yeah. And that's, like, you know? the background to this, this what the, the villains want, right? But, like, right. in the actual film, what you have to start doing, and this is told to our main character, the protagonist is to stop thinking linearly. Right. And the film takes place both with scenes and sequences of going against the current and going with the current and fighting against people with the current against people that are going against the current and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So it's really all about like you're, this is why it's like not a typical time travel film even. Right. You know, because it's all about specific things due to radiation. This is their sort of explanation. Um, uh, going backwards or forwards, um, but along sort of like a track in the dirt, you know, sort of like if they're on a pre, almost predetermined uh, uh, track, you know, like the the bullet has to go back a certain right. way if it goes back at all. So right, and and basically like no matter what, if the universe blows up or not, like they're getting deleted. Exactly. Right? Like that. That's why th there's this whole idea that like you fight for your generation, right? Mm -hmm. That uh, the protagonist is talking about. Um, but I, I don't know, man. Like I'd, I'd have to think about it a lot more to try to figure out what this movie's trying yeah. to say. Um, because like, yeah, we need to, we need to watch it again. I think I'll probably go see it again in theaters. I mean, even you talking about the oceans and rivers, I took that sort of symbolically. Um, but you're right. It could be, it could be real. I don't yeah. know. Well, I, I think it was kind of like, uh, an, uh, kind of saying that like we, ruin the earth <laughs> maybe you know um but but also it's like you it is they easy establish to say, early on yeah. that there is such a thing as free will in this yeah so you're not determined in this reality that nolan has created and uh he does change they do change the future you know but really the future is just the present the past and the future are you know, for these people involved with this technology are all just sort of one thing. Yeah, I think a good way to describe it is that, like, no matter which direction you're going through the timeline, you're always going forward. Yeah. Right? And so, like, there's no way for you're you to go... just going against current or with current. Right, right. Um, and everything that... Everything that you do while going backwards has already happened. So... You can't really you can't really change what's happened because um, you you can't really change what's happened because it's already happened, right? 
like when Robert Pattinson gets that car um, during the scene where they like steal the mm-hmm. piece from the highway. If you kind of look closely, that uh, there's already a bullet hole in the um, in the side mirror. Yeah, when, I saw when that. They're driving, yeah. yeah, and you're like, oh shit, that car's gonna get shot up. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting. And when he goes back immediately after that, you know, he does everything that was already done. So, like, I that's why I really like Robert Pence in the ending line there where it's like, you know, when he's like, call it faith. And our protagonist is like, faith? And he's like, well, I like to call it reality as well, you know? Because in a sense, you're winning. Um, in a sense, you're going to, you're, you're winning either, you know. Because if you think about it long enough, it's like, well, they already, they won. You know, yeah. they were meant to win. They already had one. They won in the past, in the future, well, in the present simultaneously. Right. But once again, that's why you just sort of have faith, even if it is free will, but also sort of on a rail track. Right. You know, you just have faith. Right. And they, they even talk about that in the middle when uh, we're going to put down the windows, guys. So apologies. <laughs> uh, they even talk about that in the middle when um, Robert Pattinson's talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. No, I got it. Um. What is he talking about? Uh, he was, oh, no, no, it was the protagonist. He was saying uh, something along the lines of, like, um, since we're here experiencing this re- reality, that means we won, right? And yeah. Robert Pattinson's like, you know, that's that's the, <laughs> like, I would like to think that. And then he, he kind of goes on a whole spiel about how um, basically you can't know what, like, how you perceive reality. Like, if, if you are on a single track, you might eventually reach the end through, it like, this twisty-turny way. Yeah. You know, it might not all be at once, like uh, the protagonist is implying. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, that's Yeah, exactly. But but that's the thing, is, like... Holy shit, I think, I think actually, we're kind of getting close to the meaning. Um, yeah, I mean, it's there. I definitely want to rewatch it again. I don't want to say we have it. Even if yeah, we're yeah. really close, I just don't want to say that. Well, I think what's really important is is that speech by Robert Pattinson's character at the end. Um, and it's specifically the line where he's talking about how, like, it's not an excuse to do nothing. Mm-hmm. I forget what the line is totally. Not, like, completely, but... Because um, he has to go on at the very end. and well, He knows he's going to die, too. Well, he has, he pretty much knows it. I mean, our main character wants to... T- well, our protagonist knows. But well, I think I think Robert Pattinson guesses too because he, he says I believe this is the end of a beautiful friendship. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Um, or for me, this is I believe it's the end of a beautiful friendship. But and the you, protagonist the wants to change it. He's like, "Can we? Can I tell you something? Can I change it? You know?" Right. And he's like, "No." <laughs> you know, yeah. Robert Pattinson's like, "Don't." You know, let's be safer. Essentially, is what he says. Like, right. if we know it's going to be like, why fuck around with it? Like they keep saying that. I believe they say that this actual word that ignorance is their their weapon. Right. Um. Well, Which makes once sense. again sort of goes to this faith thing. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, their their agency almost has to have faith in order to operate. Yeah. Um, it's a mind-bending film, man. It's so yeah. fucking hard. Fuck. Um, what a cool spy thriller, though. Like, what mm-hmm. a awesome spy agency. Yeah, How- I mean, it's, they're, they're like an army. They're not even like a... I mean, they are spies in particular, Robert yeah, and yeah. our protagonist, but... It's more like, it's like truly a cold war. I mean, it's like a fucking army's fighting each other, especially at the end there. Yeah. You know, where you got these two different armies, each with half of their army going either with the current or against the current, fighting each other. People are dying because walls are, you know, being constructed. That was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that part where the guy got sucked into the wall that was yeah. fixing itself. Yeah, because it hadn't, you know, in that timeline. You know. Yeah. So, um, but Catching bullets. 
Yeah, there's a lot to there's a lot to wrap your mind around while you're watching. And I would say this is sort of very similar to an Interstellar and a uh, Inception. You know, sure. I would say this is like somewhere around those films for me. Uh, yeah, in terms I think it's of, a, like, a lot more complicated them. than Inception. It's more well. That's why I said Interstellar. Yeah, yeah. I think it's as complicated as Interstellar, maybe even more, but it has more of the. I think it's the think action, it's the, most... the thrill of Inception. Sure, sure. I think it's actually, in my opinion, I think this might be his most complicated film. I agree, but it's with that um, in that same realm of the concept being so high and being so integral to. Right. I really loved what the they film. did with like the future technology. How it 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 almost felt like ancient, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like um, everything kind of felt like these weird um, artifacts. Um. And at the beginning, when well, you they see are sort of them. artifacts, aren't they? Remember? Yeah, because yeah. the, the scientist lady at the very beginning, she's like, "This is like the refuse of a future war right. that is showing up in the past because it's moving against the current." Right. And this is what we found. That's so crazy. Yeah. You know, you're dealing with uh, the artifacts of the future. It's like an archaeology dig of the future transporting itself against the current back. Yeah, because they they have to put like everything in time capsules because they're not actually like sending stuff back, right? It's just moving backwards through uh, time. Yeah, some of the shit that's just charged, like the, all those guns at the end there. If they went through one of those machines that lets you go against the current, like well, that gun's going to continue to possibly go backwards. Right, you know? right. So if at any time that gun in his timeline beforehand now he can go back it's so weird it's like mind-bending like this is why it's not a traditional time travel film it's almost like i almost feel like we don't even want to talk about that word because it doesn't get do justice to the concept yeah it's, it's like it's really not time travel it's like yeah it, like think of it like play the play button and the reverse button and that's yeah. it you know <laughs> like yeah. and and you get to change it for yourself and no one else yeah um, <laughs> so if you go through the machine you're basically experiencing the world on play or on reverse. Yeah. Um, but you're always going forwards. Right. You're always watching the screen. But, Unless but something interacts with you that is stronger on the current, then it can make you sometimes operate the other way. Like the car or when they're in a fight, you know? The fight scenes were crazy. Cause yeah. Sometimes they were fighting with someone against the current or with the current and they were the other way. Well, because like any sort of force still affects you. Exactly. But in reverse? Sometimes. I think it's almost who's the progenitor of the force. Right, right. Um, That's why I'm saying, like, most of the time you're experiencing a reality as if it's on reverse or play. But when you come into conflict with something, sometimes I can fuck it, you know? It's really strange. Yeah. Oh, wait. Maybe that's the problem with the... I don't know. What if you take something that's going, like, what if, see, what what I want to know is, like, if you're going forwards and you pick up a gun that's going backwards and you go through, you go through the, like, reverse thing with it, mm -hmm. does that mean now you've just swapped with the gun and now the gun's going forward and you're going backwards? Something, maybe. Maybe. I mean, it's so strange. This is why I'm saying, like, it's hard. Definitely a movie that demands a rewatch at least there's going to be a lot i feel of, like they didn't cover that concept there's going to be a lot of tenant explained <laughs> videos sure, sure. on youtube i'm going to have fun digging through them well i um, feel like they didn't explain that like if, if you if you like well the girl gets healed remember the girl goes backwards and then forwards right right well so the way that they explained that was there was some sort of like like um time reverse radiation that was caused from being shot with a reverse bullet um 
But just the idea that it would heal, because remember, you know, the mass that was taken away in that time would go backwards, and right. then she could go forwards again, and rather than her bio biological material continue to go backwards, so it heals, and then it dissipates or grows yeah, younger yeah. or something, <laughs> she goes forwards again, right, right. it's normal, essentially. Um, um, it's weird to think about that part of her body is uh, being collected, you know, through time. Uh through yeah. its timeline, not through time. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a mind fuck. Tenet explained one, <laughs> 1. 1.2 million views, 750,000 views, 266 K views. That's our future. That's the future of YouTube in the next month. Yeah. Will they do a good job at explaining it? There'll be one know. or two guys that do a half good job at the very least. Yeah. We'll see. Um, but yeah, no, essentially essentially what it boils down to is a um hey maybe we should call this episode Tenant Explain. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um First reactions, Tenant Explained. Right. Um But essentially what it boils down to is like a cold war except like not between countries, but between like time factions. Yeah, that are fighting throughout time. All time for them is the present. The people that are fighting this, you know. Because they're experiencing it as if, for them, it's their present. You know? Well, it's like, not necessarily because that would be like time travel, right? But it's like everything is both the past, everything can be the past and the future. And you can, yeah, and you can um, see people going against the current while you're going with the current, you know? Right. So it is like for you, that's a present moment. I really like the idea of the temporal, like, pincer maneuver, mm -hmm. where it's, like, the only way to defeat people in this timeline <laughs> is to, like, or in, in this, like, type of warfare is to, like, literally corner them in the timeline from both sides. Dude, it's a very interesting idea. You know? Imagine making a movie about a commander that has to fight a war with this technology. Oh, yeah. You know, like, it's very similar to the space opera idea I told you about that I read in a book where... The you know there's these fleets of spaceships fighting each other in space, mm -hmm. but the ships move so slowly mm -hmm. that when they fire weapons essentially and they're maneuvering so slowly they can see whether or not they're going to die and they might die in like a month's time. <laughs> so they're sitting on the ship just waiting to die in a month. Jesus Christ! You know because of how slow things move in space. Right. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. That's the sort of that's the sci-fi element of this film is just fucking around with that. Yeah. Um, but it's cool because like we're we're dealing with both like the new recruit and the mastermind as a main character yeah and like as the film progresses like you start to see um you know him go from a new recruit to you know doing quote cowboy shit mm -hmm. um <laughs> and then yeah. like figuring stuff out and then by the end being the mastermind even though it's also just his beginning at the end, you know? Right, right. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's that, That's why I feel like there's going to, like, I, I want there to be a second movie at least, <laughs> you know? Well, you know, no one has done three Batman movies. It's not the craziest thing, right? Right, right. Maybe. It would be cool to, like, see, like, because if he goes into the past, then he's going to have to recruit Robert Pattinson. So it would be interesting to have a character that dies in the first film be in, like, all three or something. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> yeah. Um... How do you think this is going to go over with normal audiences? Do you think they're going to be a little a little too perplexed? Because I feel like, you know, I think of a movie like Arrival, and I still feel like a normal audience can get that on one playthrough. Inception and Interstellar, they can sort of get it on one playthrough, you know? 
This is yeah. going to be challenging. I well, mean, I really I actually, like that he has faith in his audience and he doesn't over-explain shit. I'm not sure if it's but, even that he do- has faith in his audience. I feel like he just doesn't hold their hand. You know, he just he's just like, all right, we're going. Keep up if you can. <laughs> like that's that's his, you know, mentality behind it. Yeah. Um, like a, a really good indicator of that is that he only ever um, exposits something once right yeah like there's never there's never a moment where he and like i feel like nolan does um exposition exposition in like a fun way he, he actually does it kind of the same way in all of his films where usually he does exposition through like either a heist um or like <laughs> you know or like a planning meeting sure or like you know, something where the characters are just explaining stuff to each other, uh-huh. you know, and we get to kind of like, you know, sit in the briefing room with them and hear it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it makes it all blow by really fast. And I think for me, that's always been like Nolan's weakness, in my opinion, is he, he never like uses exposition in a way that's um, like dwelling and fun in the story. But what I do, what I say that he does really well is blowing through that shit as fast as possible (laughs) (laughs) and then getting to the meat of the story. Um, It's very one natured. It doesn't do much other than, I mean, inception, it's like really just telling, you know, it's just straight up exposition and maybe there's a little bit of like character arc sprinkled in there, but yeah, you're right. It's really just sort of one nature. It's just doing one thing. Yeah. Which isn't bad, you know, like, um, no, you're right. He does well. I, I would say that maybe Dunkirk is different, but I think that's because it it's was, historical people right, understand. Right, it's in our world. Yeah, um, it's not the sci-fi. Right. I mean, Batman. There's really not much exposition either. Yeah, you, know, you have it in Prestige a little bit. You have it in. You know, I'm actually going to argue with myself here and say that this, <laughs> this <laughs> that this film maybe had a little bit of exposition at the end. Well, um, when he's uh, well, yeah, at the very end. It's yeah. interesting that's at the very end. And yeah. there is some Robert Pattinson explains things and there's the science right. at the very beginning. Yeah. Um He gives it to you then, right before you need it. And then memento. Mm-hmm. Um but it yeah, and it doesn't feel like forced. Like um actually to pull this right back to James Bond, like there's that part in Spectre where like you learn that this guy's his brother, you know, and you're like, What the fuck? And mm-hmm. it felt totally forced because like you got it right before you needed to know that information, <laughs> but it was like so soap opera, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I think, I, I think the difference is is that in in Nolan's story, we learned it when the main character did, yeah. right? And therefore, we have kind of this like synchronization with the main character throughout the whole film, mm-hmm. right? Whereas in in uh, Spectre. Mm-hmm. Uh, like James Bond throughout that film is having all of these moments and interactions where he like knows this guy is his brother. Sure. Right. Um, and the audience just, there, there's not even like a way for the audience to know that. Right. Like there was no, there was nothing there. Right. There's no clue. There's no hint at it. It's just like kind of just, they slap you in the face with it yeah. right before you need to know it. And I think yeah. that's the difference is that there's no false, th- there's no synchronization with James Bond there. Right. We're mm-hmm. like, he knows something that we don't. Mm-hmm. Right. And then there's a big reveal where we're like, Oh, now we're cu- clued into what all the characters <laughs> already knew. 
right? Whereas in this yeah. one, like... There's no chance to outthink it. Right, right. And we're, in or this to be one, fooled, even. Right, right. There's nothing, right? It's just like, it's just... Well, I was noticing several things in this in this film where I was like, is that going to be something? And then it didn't end up being something, right? And right, I right. love it when that's the case. And I was like, no one absolutely thought about that. Like, there's that moment where he gives uh, the wife of this Russian oligarch, this Russian gunrunner, uh, a pistol and I was like is that yeah. an inverted pistol that's my immediate thought yeah, I was like yeah. oh is there going to be some weird thing where he's outsmarted this guy with like an inverted pistol right, you right. know but then it didn't end up being that so you know yeah. he's definitely playing with you he's letting you to right. try to guess try to figure it out yeah I would say that like as far as um, like when people talk about James Bond films like everyone immediately goes to the gadgets right yeah. And I, I personally don't think that gadgets have like been a part of James Bond too much. And like I would argue that yes, like Q and gadgets are a fun part of James Bond. Yeah. However, I don't think that's exactly what yeah. James go Bond Go watch really Go Go Gadget Man. Well, okay. right, exactly. <laughs> like but I do think that something that's been part of James Bond is kind of the plant and payoff of items. Sure. Right. Which like that's what the gadgets always did in the older films is like they were these they were Things that they introduced earlier in the film that were going to have a um, larger effect later. You know, he gets mm -hmm. the, um, I don't know, he, he gets some pen, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and he's like, oh, this is a bomb. And, you know, mm -hmm. you're like, well, when is he going to use that? And, then, you know, you get to see when he's going to use that. And you, you get to kind of, like, guess when he's going to do it. Yeah. You know, so I think you had that James Bond mentality watching this, being yeah. like trying to think about like the pistol and whether it's inverted. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you see the Chekhov's guns. Right, right. That's what exactly, about, exactly. Um, and, and I think that's always been a big part of James Bond. And I think while um, while the the newer James Bonds, like yeah, they don't have gadgets, but they also don't have those the Chekhov's guns. Not all of them. Right. right. Not not all the new ones, but there are. Spectre does. Or sorry, not Spectre. Skyfall. Skyfall, yeah. arguably Quantum of Solace. I feel like Quantum of Solace a has bit. a lot of the shit that's, that Skyfall has. It's just not as good a movie, you know? Right. Um, but anyways, back to Tenet. Yeah. Um, by the way, I, I do love that the title is a, uh, is a palindrome. It's just a yeah. fun little detail. Um, mm -hmm. But, man, that was a good movie. It's very good. Yeah. Um, but I, like on a first kind of like, um, first analysis, just gut feeling analysis of what the insight is. Mm -hmm. I think it has something to do with what Robert Pattinson was saying about like, not like having faith and knowing that everything's going to like going somewhere regardless of what you do. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not an excuse to not do anything. Exactly. You know, I think there's like, I think it has something to do with like duty to humanity or. Yeah, because you know, he knows he's about to die. You know, like the right, protagonist right. sort of lets him in on it a little bit and he's like, don't take the chance. You know, right, if we, like, if we want it, let's, let's win it. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's about walking through with faith, but also resolution, a certain stoicism. Yeah, like, yeah, and, and, and there being that duty for. Mm -hmm. to like to do what you have to, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. There's some, there's something around all of what we just said there <laughs> <laughs> that kind of maybe has something to do with the insight. Um, but again, this was our first watch. So yeah, half of the movie was us just question marks around our head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, um, uh, it's something to watch. Also, my eardrums are a little blown out. 
Oh yeah, that was so loud. Um, if if you do go see it in Dolby, maybe bring some headphones. You know, like you'll yeah. still get the full body vibration. Maybe just go watch it in IMAX. Or not, maybe not we should just watch like, Nolan movies in IMAX because he already turns up the volume anyway. So that's true. It's like twice. It's twice the Nolan sound. Well, and, and but the thing to, the thing to go see the um, in the Dolby theaters is the subwoofer. You know, the thing that creates the vibrations. Yeah, like on those. So if you go bring notes, some like earplugs. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean headphones. Um, earplugs to like just cover your uh, ear holes with, <laughs> yeah. you know, to dampen that sound a little bit. Um, you'll still get the full body vibrations, and you know, you might be able to listen at a normal volume. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, maybe it was just the theater we were at. Maybe they just cranked it up. I th- well, one I or think two decibels too loud. Well, I think he already cranks his volume up a few decibels, and then you add on top of that the Dolby. You know. Well, I mean, I, I noticed some of those. Some of the trailers, um, like there was that, uh, that like rom-com trailer. Trailers are played at a lower volume than well, the no, film. There was the rom-com one that was like blasted and it like really wasn't, um, balanced well for that hmm. sound system. And no, that can, that um, can happen too. Yeah, no, I was just thinking that maybe, I, I don't know. I don't really know how it works. Like, do you get to, I know you worked in a theater before. Do you actually like choose? You get instructions. So it comes on its hard drive, the DCIP. Do some people like fuck it up? Uh, it can happen. I don't think it, that was what was happening with uh, our in, our viewing of Tenet. Okay. Um, but there are ads essentially that you can get sent or trailers that don't are have, supposed okay. to be played in the Dolby theater or the IMAX theater, but aren't meant for Dolby or IMAX. Sure. You just have to play them however it comes out. Okay. Know? Okay. So. Um, yeah, maybe it was just fucking loud. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's what I think it is. I think yeah. it's already Dolby and then you add Nolan sound on top of it. I would just recommend maybe just go see it in IMAX, frankly. But or normal. the sound design was so good. You know, I think you'll get it in IMAX, though. I think you maybe. will. Maybe, yeah. See, I, I would rather it be too loud than too quiet. I agree. Yeah, I too agree. quiet just fucking ruins. Too things. loud rather than too quiet on the on the end. But when you're recording it, too quiet rather than too loud. Right, <laughs> right. Because <laughs> um, I've had movies that were like very actiony be played too quiet by the theater, mm-hmm. and it's just okay. it's awful. And like you can tell the energy of everyone in the theater just goes down. Like mm-hmm. they're they're not into it as much. The Kong Island. I went and saw the King Kong Island movie that came out yeah. recently, and. The all the entire audio was like, <laughs> and I just went out. I was tiny. I was like, "What's going on? Why didn't anyone tell me this is going to be it?" And they're like, "Well, you know, we can give you a ticket if you want. It's just going to be like that." Yeah, I'm not sitting in the movie watching yeah. some hysterical <laughs> audio that's just like zapping and zigging everywhere. Yeah. So, um, well, my other pet peeve in theaters is when they have a, a bulb that's on its way out and it's like a little dim. Oh yeah. And I'm just like fuck. Just change the light bulb. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no, I, I don't know what else to. Yeah, maybe we ended there. I mean, frankly, I think I would rather rewatch this uh, and come back in the future with a full deep dive. For sure. Uh, then, I mean, I think we've said everything we wanted to say. Is there anything else? Um, I guess all the acting is amazing. Yeah, I really like liked the everyone. villain. I loved the. We have our um, Robert Pattinson. Gem in the Rough Man, not at all. He is actually an amazing actor. Oh, yeah. He's come so far from Twilight. I loved seeing him in all these recent movies, like Cosmopolis. I think he's going to be a great Batman. Yeah, me too. Um, then we had John David Washington. He is a rising star. 
What was the uh, the name of both our villain and the wife? Because they were both fantastic as well. Uh, I recognized the one. villain from something. Uh, the wife was... Um, here, hold on. Let me actually... Also, the music. I know we on. said it wasn't Hans Zimmer, but whoever that guy is, a guy to put down on a list. Yeah, let me let me just pull up the IMDb right here. Yeah. Uh, the composer was... Uh, oh, Ludwig Gornson. Okay. What okay. else has he done? Um, so he did the Black Panther soundtrack. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then the Mandalorian. Done a lot of Disney stuff. Huh? Um, yeah, I guess so. The actors' names. Um, hold on, let me find that really quick. Actors. So Elizabeth uh, Debicki. Okay. Was Cat. Uh, okay. And then. Um, Oh, Aaron Taylor Johnson was in it, which was... I, I didn't oh, recognize shit. him at first. Was he the soldier? Yeah. I was thinking, I, oh my yeah, goodness. He, he beefed up, like, holy shit. <laughs> With the helmet on, you can't really tell. And the big old beard. Uh-huh. Um, and then, of course, we have Kenneth Branagh. Um, That's him? That's yeah. the guy? I was That's thinking Edward it was Kevin, Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. Um... Yeah. And then, what about the editors? Is is it his normal guy? It's like I think it's like Lee or something. Um, check. Editor. Because I really like the editing too. Jennifer Lame. Oh, really? Has she done his movies in the past? I don't think she has. What has she done? Hereditary. Uh, Marriage good. Story. So he had to really get a new. Oh wait, team sorry, together. sorry, sorry. Um, no, no, no. That's that's true. That's true. Um, Hereditary, Marriage Story. Um, oh, he, she did the Myers Family too. That had really good editing. So he got a whole new team together, really. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, that's... Who's the returning guy? Michael Caine for one scene? <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. His, his wife producing, Emma Thomas? Or Thompson? Um, yeah, Emma Thomas. Um, Damn. Yeah, no, everyone's everyone's different. What is the cinematographer? Is it the same guy who did Interstellar? Because um, uh, Wally Hoyt Fister... Van Hoytema? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Interstellar, Dunkirk, Astra. Because Wally Fister stopped after what? Was it Dark Knight Rises? I'm not sure. Yeah, but that was, oh, can I also just talk about, like, the set pieces? Like, every single, mm -hmm. like, yeah. <laughs> it's, like, every single, like, heist or, you That's know. That's a very double assumption thing as yeah. well, where every location is the set piece. Right, and it, it just, like, continues to get more and more epic each yeah. time. And it's, like, the first opera time, house, yeah, the little, first time at the opera house, you're, like, holding Wind shit, farm in the epic. ocean. Yeah, see, this is where, this is ex another one of those things that I feel like is a James Bond thing, and you, ju yeah. you just pointed that out. It is a James Bond thing. Um, and I actually think that the only one that actually did that successfully was Skyfall. Right? I think I felt, you could see it in some of the others, but... Maybe, maybe Spectre a little bit, but I, I felt like the other ones, basically the climax was always essentially the opera house at the beginning, like that mm. level, right? Maybe. And, like, this one just goes from, like, the opera house siege to, like... Uh, what was the next thing? And just ups and ups at the highway. You have the yacht. Oh, and the, you the, the then you had the airport heist. Yeah, the airport yeah. with the, the special sort of storage for people doing tax deferral and antiques right. and paintings. And then from there it goes to, uh, is that the high, highway heist after that? Yeah, highway heist. Um, and well, then, it's, it's all of them. They keep going back and forth, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and, then, and then at the end you have a, like a, a full-on war. war fought by two sides of like a temporal mm -hmm. like um, going with the current against the current right right um and both sides have both soldiers so mm -hmm. it's 
it was crazy. Um, the armbands. Right, right. Um, and yeah, and you see, like, the, it's, you know, we even talked about the building. Like, the set isn't involved. Right. And, uh, but, yeah, now every set piece just became more and more ridiculous. Um, and, I, like you pointed out, I think it's a very James Bond thing where, like... It is. It's like every single time you're like, how can they... How could they possibly outdo yeah. this? I don't think most 007 films where everything is a set piece like this was, but, like, I would say, like, at least half of the locations in 007 films are, like, set pieces. Especially the last one. Like, they, yeah. they always have, like, a villain's Spectre base. and Skyfall, for sure, and yeah. I would say the classic ones were at least 50-50 Yeah. Well. I, I didn't like Inspector how they just blew it up. Mm. Um, I really need to rewatch it. I only saw that once in theaters, and I was a little disappointed with it, so I just sort of forgot it <laughs> i remember yeah some scenes i remember the big muscly guy like chasing him they're they're fast expensive cars and everything right right was that uh, uh the wwe guy was it i don't, I don't remember I, I only watched it once too um he plays the guy in uh guardians of the galaxy i'm sure yeah but as far as like everyone who's done like a 007 take mm-hmm. that's I feel like, not 007 yeah yeah okay i feel like Nolan's the subgenre, the, yeah, the yeah. 007 subgenre, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of like I, I want to call it the 007 take genre, yeah, because like now that so many people have done it, mm -hmm. like I really hope it just spawns like a whole genre of epic spy thrillers, and sure. we, we like stop associating it with 007, and it's just like the epic spy thriller genre. I'd be fine with that, yeah, where it's like you know, you, ha you have the normal spy thrillers, like uh, like. You know the Bourne series yeah, and stuff. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Yeah, yeah, and then and then you have the epic spy thriller, which is like you know, super spies. 007, Kingsman. Yeah, essentially they're Tenet. like they're like it's it's a it's a fusion of the superhero genre and like realism. Yeah, because they're extraordinary people. Right, right. Um, but it would it would be cool if it became its own subgenre because like. I, Anything can become its own subgenre. Right, right. Um, <laughs> and if enough people do it, right. Um, but, I mean, you're going to have people growing up with all these films, right? They're going to have the new Mission Impossibles, uh, Kingsman, Tenet, and 007. Mm -hmm. And they're going to see all of them as just, like, epic spy films. Yeah. You know? And, I don't know, I think that's cool. And I, I kind of I hope it starts its own uh, subgenre. Like, it seems like Kingsman has kind of started its, like, yeah, franchise Kingsman thing. Yeah, Kingsman is definitely a franchise at this point. I'm excited. I, I really hope the one. next one, like, like, I feel like the second one kind of lagged a little bit. Um, it wasn't as good as the first one, but I still think it was a great movie. Yeah, uh, it was very fun. But uh, if this one can like, really if this pull one does it off well, again, then it's a franchise, franchise. For right, right. Um, and then obviously, Mission Impossible is already a franchise. Yeah, it's um, already been successful. It's just sort of evolving. I think the last two were fucking incredible, especially as the a last duo. three. Really, I mean, Brad Bird onwards. Uh, well, I think I think the Christopher McQuarrie ones in like specifically are okay. Um, I, I think it, it takes on a whole new feel, and like I would argue that, like one, two, three, and four, um, specifically two, three, and four are very like Mission Impossible-y. Mm -hmm. You know, they're almost a heist film. Yeah, yeah. Ways. They're like Whereas they, they these have new ones are own, not heists. You know? Right, they have their own. Um, That's what Mission Impossible really was. It was sort of like an action heist sort of yeah. thing, and now it has become more of the spy, and it has a, a well. That's you know, why. Linear story that's why I feel it. like Christopher McQuarrie really like picked up the whole James Bond take. Mm -hmm. You know, where like the the other ones, even actually the first one, I think the first one, like the second half of the first Mission Impossible, was very much what the Mission Impossible series became. Mm. Right, but. I think it's because the first half of the f first Mission Impossible is a straight spy thriller, mm -hmm. right? 
and then like you know the whole betrayal happens and then he it, he like gathers his crackpot team <laughs> you know um they pull off an elaborate heist going into an impossible place with crazy gadgets you know and then uh and then they have a major set piece at the end which is um which yeah. usually involves a massive stunt yeah right and i think that's i think that's what mission impossible always was was like um, but there's always that there's that like, heist element, in right? There. You have that you have that impossible heist, right? Mm -hmm. uh, penetrating the impenetrable impenetrable building, kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> it know? was always like for me, it was really mud was like a an Ocean's Eleven, except sure. as like an action movie. But yeah, you're right, yeah. it really has an Christopher McQuarrie. Now that you now that you point that out, even though I really do think the Brad Bird, Bird one is a fantastic film, you're right. There is a total break there where. Christopher McQuarrie is like, you know, let's not, there's going to be like missions in here, but there's like the movie's not going to revolve around this completion of a fantastic heist. Right. You know, it's going to be a spy. It's going to be a spy action movie as opposed to. But it thriller. also has all the elements that the James Bond movies had, which is why I was like, mm. this is a take on James Bond now. Like you have the crazy, the crazy larger than life villain. Mm -hmm. You have his henchmen. Set you pieces. have, right. You have the crazy set pieces. The only thing, um, none of these, these, these things will have that 007 has. Yeah. Unless someone just does it, you know, actually yeah. maybe someone could do it. That'd be cool. Yeah. Is 007. Right. It's like right. the suave <laughs> yeah. womanizer right. character. Very smooth, you know. Yeah. Well, and, and like, I, I feel like the That's take the that you thing. see. Because um, even in this tenet, even that wasn't the case. Right. Know? He's kind of he like even straight said, like, uh, yeah. I don't know if I can uh, seduce her. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you underestimate. I think you're underestimating my powers of seduction. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then he also doesn't drink on the job. Like, I think mm -hmm. you're right that, like, I think the one thing that James Bond has that none of these other guys have is the, like, aloofness. Mm -hmm. And they have the, the, the Englishman, you know, the guy. Right, right. Like, it, it's almost like this, uh, like, laissez-faire way of doing it. Like, you know, my favorite part of Skyfall was when he, like, um, jumped onto the train as it was being ripped in half sure. and he fixed his cufflings. Yeah. You know, yeah, like that's, that, that's James. <laughs> yeah. Um, like that's what, um, at this point we don't even need to do a 007 episode, but we were gonna anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I really think that's why like it needs to be 007 that does 007 right. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I've heard some of the things that these producers have said and like, well, see, Sam Mendes did Skyfall, so let's see That's what true. happens. That's true. Um, he also did Spectre, the best and the worst in the franchise, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's why... <laughs> the that's, duelist nature of man. That's why it makes me feel like, um, since since Skyfall was kind of like a Hail Mary, mm -hmm. right? Like, I feel like that's why... That's what makes me think that it's the producer's fault, mm. not Sam, Sam Mendes's, because... Like, I very much feel like one, uh, sorry, Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, and Spectre all have, like, a related storyline. And Skyfall almost feels like it's completely unrelated, right? Where it's like, yeah, you still have the same James Bond. You still have some of the through lines, but really the whole, like, villain and plot are completely separated from 1, 3, and 4, mm. right? Um, well, 4 is not really related to 1 and 2. It's like 1 and 2 are related. Yeah, it is, because there, there's the... Like the whole guy's plot at the end was that he like orchestrated everything to cause James Bond pain because he was jealous. Oh of yeah, him that's and... true. But that re that applies to Skyfall as well. Then 
Yeah, but it was like so loosely related to sure. Skyfall. I mean, where, it's not important. You know, where I was like, how the f- like what are you saying that like you got this guy to you like get cyanide in his <laughs> mouth and then like want revenge against MI6? Because it really that plot had like very little to do with James Bond himself. You know, whereas like Casino Royale and Quantum Quantum Solace had a lot to do with James Bond. You know, yeah, it's interesting. I like but, the thrill line though. I just don't think they did it well. Yeah, well, see, that's that's what I mean. Is like I feel like I like Casino Royale and Quantum Solace's thrill line. I just think the Spectre part of it was bad. Yeah. Well, but that's that's what makes me think that like the producers wanted like a trilogy of Casino Royale, Quantum Solace, and Spectre. And when Casino Royale came then, out, and it, yeah. it did good. And right? then they fucked. And then yeah, Quantum the Solace came Mary. out. Yeah, I see and then saying. like it was like, oh fuck, we fucked up. Opening weekend, we lost. Sam Mendes, do whatever you want, man. Right, and then he destroys at the box office. Yeah, and then all time most successful 007 film. Right, right, and then I think adjusted for inflation too, right? I, I mean, I would guess, but even let's. I mean, sometimes they don't do that. that just to like be like, yeah, we like. Yeah, a lot of like films Gone are like the wind still like the most successful film. Yeah, yeah, um, which like you. It should be adjusted for inflation always, right? Sure. Like, but a lot of people, for a marketing strategy, are like, oh, yeah. the highest grossing film of all time, right? Like, mm-hmm. when Avatar came out, that's what they did. Sure. Right? Um, but it's not. It, it made the most money using inflation. Yeah. Another <laughs> you know? interesting thing to point out is that when Sam Mendes made Skyfall, I remember listening to him and reading interviews where he said a huge... A huge amount of his inspiration came from Christopher Nolan yeah. and the Batman trilogy, and in yeah. realizing that you could do something with a franchise that wasn't, you know, just, you know, I would say what his exact language was was sort of like just keeping it as a theme park or sure, something. Yeah, you could elevate it and you could talk about real things for sure, for sure. So well, it's interesting now that yeah, <laughs> it's well, come full circle. <laughs> that's what yeah, that's what makes me think that like. Um, but this is what makes me think that like it's the producers and not Sam Mendes, right? Because Sam Mendes has his uh, like Skyfall, which was I mean, the Hail Mary. Has he made a bad movie other than Spectre? You know, right? It's right, exactly. Like and th- and like like the fact that S- Skyfall was a complete deviation from the storyline of one, two, and four, and the fact that like once. Skyfall did well. They went back to that storyline and were like, "Hey, we can finish it now, <laughs> right?" And like, I the whole time I was watching Spectre, I, oh, thought, I think they're also thinking this is Daniel Craig's last film with us. You know, let's wrap it up. Yeah, yeah. But I, the whole time I was watching Spectre, it really felt like they were being like, "Okay, now that now that uh, uh, Sam Mendes tricked all the dumb people into watching <laughs> our movie again, that you know, because they hate." They hated Quantum of Solace because they're dumb, not because they liked. Yeah, they like James Bond, you know. <laughs> but um, now that he's tricked all of them into doing this again, we can go back to our original storyline. And I'm like, yeah. and I was sitting there like, no, no, like, learn from Sam Mendes, learn from your success, yeah. learn from your failure, right? Yeah, I think the three for for me, you know, those first three movies are, are good movies. Skyfall being an exceptional movie, Casino Royale being a great movie in my yeah. opinion. No, I think um, Casino Royale. I think it's too. really. You know, even though the performance of Quantum of Solace didn't do well, I still really like that movie. I still think it's a really good movie. Well, and let me... Let but me I pop- agree with the idea that yeah. Spectre was a total fucking failure. Um, um, well, Some good acting and good moments, but other than that, you know. Yeah. And actually, 
um, can I actually go on my thing of, about my one thing? How how I would save Spectre in one scene? Okay, let's do that real fast. Yeah, yeah. And then okay. Get back to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one's fun. So how I would how I and like I always believe in this. If you're going to criticize something, try to try to at least give a solution to how to fix it. Yeah. Right. So. Obviously, I don't like Spectre. Um, I actually do like Casino Royale and Quantum Solace. I think they're really good movies. Yeah. And, like, while I was watching them, I really enjoyed them. Mm-hmm. But, like, I could 100% see all the James Bond fans, like, their complaints about how it wasn't a James Bond film. Yeah, but what wasn't all the James Bond fans, you know? Sure, sure. I mean, there's you, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, um... But no, I, I I'm just saying like I understand their like gripe with losing that character that's like this mysterious womanizer who like sure. know, jumps onto breaking trend and fixes his cufflinks. Yeah. Right. Um But uh and then losing the larger in life villains larger than life villains and the um henchmen and you know the crazy set pieces. But um sorry, regardless. The um, scene in Spectre. Yeah, Spectre. The first scene in I think it was like Mexico. Right where he's like going through the Day of the Dead parade, mm-hmm. um, and it's like that crazy. I think it's a oneer, right? And it's going through, and it has all these like, it, it is like an insane set piece. Yes, but one, it's the most insane set piece in the film, and they blow their load right at the beginning. Sure. Right, and two, it has it literally has no use to the film other than to say, like, for him to come back to M and be like. Nope, that wasn't our guy. <laughs> right? That's the whole point of that entire set piece. And I'm like, what what producers are sitting here being like, yes, let's let's blow our load on this massive set piece for something that's so unimportant yeah. to the plot. Right? I feel like a lot of filmmakers do that. It's the Lord of the Rings, the opening scene with the battles. You know, they want to get you they want to give you the action immediately so then they can have the 30 minutes and nothing happening. Sure, you know? but at the same time, though, like in Lord of the Rings, those made sense. I know, I know. I'm not saying they're making right. sense, but, but like this might be the rationale. Right, right. The rationality of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but having that scene right at the beginning, one, I, I think actually draws um, the progression of the rest of the film away. Like, you have kind of this epicness progression through James Bond films, and I think Tenet showed this perfectly mm-hmm. of starting with like a crazy set piece and then just keep outdoing themselves throughout the whole movie sure you know and um it really i think that's what adds to this kind of like action thriller side of it you know um but yeah no so inspector they blow their load immediately with a massive amazing set piece yeah for literally nothing in the plot yeah and they you don't know? outdo it right and they never outdo it throughout the rest of the film so like the best set piece in the whole movie is at the beginning of the film and it, it's not with any of the grand emotional moments or anything like that right it's just it's just it's literally nothing mm-hmm. so what i would have done right because that that was the one weakness of the film the other one was just very shitty expository dialogue throughout yeah right because they were trying to they were trying to like um talk around the fact that the bad guy was James Bond's brother yeah even though James Bond knows that right they're trying to talk around that fact so they can like reveal it to you at the end mm-hmm. and they want it to be this grand reveal but it ends up falling flat on its face because it you know, doesn't matter, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it would have mattered if we were like in on it from the beginning. Right. Yeah. If we were just like, okay, that's his brother. Um, they gave it away in the trailer as well. You know? Yeah. Um, I didn't even see the trailer. So I didn't like the first time I heard it was when he was like in 
the meteor. Well, they didn't like give the line in the trailer, but yeah. it was essentially you know he is Christopher. Uh, what's his name? The actor that did the Transformers uh, brother. Is it Christopher? Uh, Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz. Yeah. He has a bunch of lines alluding to the fact that they know each other, and it's like, right, oh, right. okay, brother, you know. Right. <laughs> and it, they put that in the trailer, so it's just like, brother. Yeah, and like that that reveal was so yeah, way stupid. It was just like it was like it was like a little. It felt mm, like a soap opera. Yeah, it was like like it felt like bad no, soap, soap opera. opera was, it, most soap operas are better than that. <laughs> yeah, you know? um, it's very underwhelming. So what I would have done? Whoopee cushion without right? a good fart because. I think I think this movie was. In- <laughs> Sorry, I just heard your analogy. Yeah. Just kidding. it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, um, but I think this movie was unique in that every single department what was like incredibly well done. Okay. Right? So cinematography was amazing. Acting was amazing. Um, the uh, choreography was amazing. Um, the music was awesome. The sound design was awesome. And for what Spectre? For Spectre. Yeah. Okay. And the only thing that was shit was like the plot side of the writing and yeah. like a lot of the expository dialogue, and it just dragged the, the whole movie down. Mm-hmm. And so what I would have done um, in terms of adding a scene is just first off cut that whole Mexico scene. I know it's a big set piece, but you know for the movie's sake, cut it. Mm-hmm. Right. And then what I would have done was add um, a scene at the beginning that is. Um, that is not explained really. Okay. Right. And have, um, you, you know, that whole story that he's talking about with like, um, James Bond and like, it's his, it's his foster brother. Right. Yeah. And like they, they're at this like foster home with their, um, family that's taking them in and the father just like likes James Bond way more. So, um, the bad guy causes an avalanche to, you know, kill them mm-hmm. and it just kills his father. Right. So instead of having that be in the media room, right, I would have cut the beginning scene, no context, have like this foster dad and his son. And like you just see all of this play out at the beginning before the credits. Right. Mm. You have the whole avalanche. You have him die. 007 intro song. Exactly. Right. And then you cut to Bond in the future where he's like doing this and then like yeah. you slowly start to realize that these two kids from this mountain yeah. are James Bond and, and don't build guy. things towards that, that stupid reveal because right right exactly going. cool okay yeah well, and, I think and, that's all we got to focus on uh on that yeah but like I, that would have saved the whole movie right? yeah it is interesting though because Spectre you're right and I agree with you that it's the worst out of the new ones but in, my, in many ways it's it's up there with the ones that try to do with the way that you're communicating it to me at the very least uh, better in terms of the past franchise because right. you do have larger than life villain you do have minion you do have set pieces you know right but, it's just a bad movie which i i would say is proof that like it's more important to make a good movie than to fit yeah. the james bond yeah. uh criteria Precisely. yeah right Precisely because like quantum of solace is way better than specter yeah even though specter fits the james bond criteria and quantum of solace doesn't Right, Quantum Solace is a good movie, and that makes it leagues more watchable than Spectre. Sure. Right. So, interesting. Then we apply this back to Tenet. Tenet is one of these movies in our new theory about this new 007 subgenre. Um, where would you place this? Now we know that we think this one's the best out of the new ones vying. Right. That we just said that for yeah. the 
for the 007 subgenre, and we think it's better than the Mission Impossible's. We think yeah. it's better than Kingsman. What about Nolan's films? Where do you think this is in Nolan's films? Damn. Um, I, we don't. Want, this is not a concrete answer. We're probably going to change our minds yeah. tomorrow morning. But where is your immediate reaction in terms of your faves? You know where. Where is this? To be fair, I really love the spy subgenre. Okay. You know, so like, it's there for you already. It's it's pretty top. it's pretty up there for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I mean, even in terms of like where it fits in terms of all the new 007 stuff, like, yeah. I would actually say as a whole, um, like Rogue Rogue Nation and um, what was the last one called Fallout? I think so. Yeah. Um, both the Mission Impossible, I would say, are better than most of the James Bond movies only beat by Skyfall. Sure. Right. Um, but I would say that Tenet might have beat Skyfall too in terms of like wow. where where it fits into kind of like the James Bond, the 007 subgenre. You know? So you really like it. For me, if I was thinking right now, if I had to slot it somewhere in terms of my favorites of Nolan's, yeah. I think it'd probably be around like fourth or fifth place for me. Okay. I still think, you know, Prestige holds a good place in my heart the Prestige dark knight holds a good place in my heart inception holds a pretty good place in my heart so for me i think it's tied with inception okay i still love interstellar i think that that might still be for me i think this is better than interstellar okay okay yeah you know what like i think i like the science aspect of this the more that more i watch interstellar. interstellar and inception the more that i think i like inception more Inception has just a little bit more heart, frankly. There's great moments of heart in Interstellar. I'm not saying there's not. But for me, it's just that way. I feel like Interstellar just is so... Like, the beautiful thing about Interstellar wasn't that it was designed perfectly. Mm -hmm. Which I would argue that, like, Tenet and Inception were designed fairly perfectly. Um, I, I think the thing that I loved about it, Interstellar was that, like... It goes into some deep fucking despair. Mm. Like, I have never felt more, like, dragged into the depths of darkness by a film hmm. that ended up making me feel great about everything at the end. <laughs> you know? And um, that that in itself is a feat to me. And I think that's what I love about Interstellar a lot. Interesting. You know, um... So if I if I had to make like what I think his best made movies are, I think Interstellar would be around the middle. Um, but for me, like Interstellar is one of my favorites. Yeah, but well, that's what I'm trying to get at. I don't. Yeah. You know, it's hard to be objective about these things. It's you know we talked about this at the very beginning of our podcast, trying to quantify things, especially yeah. in our form, is so hard. So ultimately, it comes down to your heart. You know. Yeah. Anyways, um, but go ahead, real tenant, fast. Tenant. Um, one of the things that I do feel like wasn't explained at all, though, was actually what we're talking about, where, like, if if you're going into into one of those machines yeah. as someone who's reversed with something that's not reversed. Yeah. Um, what does that actually do to it? Like, and that, what what does, like, firing a gun... Like, so if you go... If you're going in reverse, what does firing a gun do? So if you're going against the current? Yeah, because, like, they're, they're always showing... you have a gun that's with the current? Yeah, they're always showing you, like, catching bullets, but that's guns that 
you're using that are reversed when you're well, not Well, don't reversed. you just have to feel it in a sense? Remember, it's well, like no, the very no, but that, beginning. That's when you, Can you just sort of feel the bullet going? You know? No, but that's when you're not reversed and the, no. the gun or the bullet is. I know, but I'm like trying to imagine right. that scenario backwards. Is it still feeling it, but it just operates differently? Because um, they're warring with each other, reversed and unreversed, you know? Uh, yeah. Well, I the, guess it would be the same if you were reversed and you were dealing with a non-reversed Remember, bullet. there's the there's the guy that shoots the rocket, but it, it's going in reverse, and then the the red team, which is going with the current, have to shoot that guy in the window. So they're able to kill him, but they're going with the current. Right. So it's interesting, you know. Yeah. So wait, think, did they just, like, change the timeline right there? But that's the idea, is, like, there is really no timeline. Right, that's right. what I'm getting at. Like, it's not. This is why I didn't like when we were in the parking lot. We were talking about past versus future. It's like, no, it's just like it's all going forward. Exactly. Stop thinking um, linearly. It's you know, just is. It, well, it's weird because it technically is linear. Yeah, their <laughs> like, it's, their experience is linear, but yeah. like you don't, you can't think about time outside of your reality. You know what my favorite part was? As linear. That actually explains it. Explain that. Explains that concept really well. Is when, um, t- like someone's timeline would converge. So like, you'd be watching them their past self and their future self go into the machine yeah, and then they both end. disappear mm. where you would be like, wait, where did he go? Right. And it's because it's because it's like this like mirror where like they're going into, um, yeah. from the future into the past. Thinking on, about like, it in terms of reflection is really good. I mean, think, Oh yeah. That's think about good the one. anagram as well. It's also sort of inversed reflected, you know, on yeah. the top and on the bottom with tenant. So, yeah. It, there's there's that part too, and that's a really good way to explain to people listening auditorially. Um, that's a word. How <laughs> their experience of the going against the current is. It's sort of if you love, try to read a sign in a mirror, it's sort of backwards, but it's still in the moment, in the present, and you're still operating like a normal person in the mirror. Right. Know? So, it's interesting. This was a very cool movie, though. I I really want to watch it again. Um, yeah, I'll probably try to grab it another time in theaters. Okay, so I think that the guy at the beginning in the opera house was Neil. Uh, who's Neil? Neil's uh, Robert Pat- Pattinson's character. I think it's a possibility. Cause, because he, like, knew about the opera house stuff and he, like, didn't yeah. say how he knew about it. Sure. So it would make sense that that would have been Neil earlier on in the film before they knew each other. I mean, he would have known him. You wonder if they do other movies if uh, he dies you know, if our protagonist dies and then Neil has to go recruit him in a sense or help orchestrate his, that would be interesting because yeah. they could like, if they did and three it's just movies, the circle, you know, right. it's just unending circle. They could do three movies and, or two movies or whatever and have, uh, the protagonist die, die at the third. Yeah. At the end of the third one, but passing it on where... to Neil. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Anyways, really cool. I think this episode's long enough as it is. Yeah. Um, so here's to the new 007 subgenre and to Nolan uh, keeping the fire alive, man. He did it again. Yeah. Um, He's just like the savior of things. <laughs> him and uh, Villeneuve, man. They're yeah. just, you know, they're just fighting for cinema, man. Yeah. Um, but anyways, it's been fun, guys. We're going to be doing... Um, Seven, Seven as our next film. Oh, no, no, no. Our next episode, though, is the second yes. half of... Uh, yeah, so our next episode will be the second half, but what our next film that we're going to be watching is going to be Seven, so yep. if you want to keep up with us. And we don't know what we're doing after that, so stay tuned. Yeah. We will let you know. <laughs> I will probably put a little message on the end of our second half of the best of 2010s, but we'll see. Cool. All right. Yeah, no, that's good, I think. Cool. All right, we'll, we'll see you guys in a few days, actually. Yeah, bye.